All right, we are live. So welcome into Growth Podcast number four here with the Everyday Growth Advisors. I hope you guys are having a good day. We are here with two of our moderators from our community, and uh, we wanted to put together a short little segue on how these market conditions are affecting different types of traders. Um, And uh, I wanted to kind of come together here today to talk about various different things. So we're going to take it away. You guys want to say hi? Hey, everybody. I'm Peter. (laughs) That's uh, Peter. And we have Ivan as well. Hi, everybody. Ivan. One of our moderators from our community. So welcome into the podcast, and uh, we're going to keep it about 20, 30 minutes. Let's hope that we can get everything done. So I wanted to actually ask you guys, uh, because I don't think I've formally asked you guys, um, like how long have you guys been trading, and um, why did you guys start trading, actually, and what do you enjoy about it? Uh, Anyone can go first. Peter, you want to go first? or? Yeah, sure. Um, I've been trading, I think, a little over two years now um actively and i would say i really enjoy trading because it's a it's a total challenge on so many levels um you know i mean i i also like money and independence and <laughs> like limitless opportunity but but really like outside of the outside of like the dream of it i really like how it demands your engagement like as a as a complete person as a complete oh, yeah. human being. absolutely um you know if it, it, it forces it's one of those things it forces you to overcome your delusions, right? Like and oh, yeah. see things clearly, uh, and and not just see things clearly and have an you know analytical clarity, but it also requires you to execute clearly and cleanly uh, oh, in yeah. order to be profitable. So you have to bring like your mind and your actions like together. Like you have to make them one. Like when you're clicking your button, like you know trading, it's not a physical activity, but really. Like it is like the physical act of trading is you're clicking a button. You're, 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 you're clicking a, there's only two things you can do. It's, it's very basic. It's not easy, but it's very basic. You can buy and you can sell. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I agree. And that, uh, that physical act has to be totally integrated with your, with your analytical clarity. There, there can't be like as, as little variance as possible between between like what you're looking to do, your edge as you understand it and your edge as you express it with your body. There's in, a, in, in the case of trading, it's it's a mouse click, right? There's, just a, a, mouse click. there's a, a very, uh, you know, um, other part of trading that not many people talk about. Sometimes it's the biochemistry. It's a very interesting mm-hmm. part of trading. And um, I have mentioned it a couple of times, uh, I think, on the Discord uh, and even sometimes on our IG, that trading is actually a very, very taxing process on your brain. Yeah. Um, the amount of glucose that you possibly consume just to process all of the different nooks and crannies of information that you're looking for just to make a, you know, some kind of a conclusion and then derive your conclusion enough to have the edge in something is actually very, very stimulating. And that consumes a lot of energy, I feel. Uh, That's an interesting part about trading. What about Ivan? Uh, What about you? How long have you been trading? Uh, I started trading when back in 2020, when the COVID, you know, happened, everybody started. So he's a COVID trader, Ivan. (laughs) Ivan's a COVID trader. (laughs) Peter, when Uh, did you start trading? um, Right around COVID. Also, okay. So both of you are. I mean, I'd had I'd had a little bit of experience before, but like COVID, I I kind of like dove in. Okay. Well, for 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 everyone listening, 
for me, I started trading pretty much like about 10 years ago. Now, this is my 10th anniversary of trade, like trading in the markets. Uh, but the first two years, I would say I was trading completely different uh, instruments. I was doing Forex and, um, you know, Forex trading is also great. It's a, definitely a more volatile market, uh, but it's it was different. It was really different back then. Um, I think that this was post 2008 financial crisis and things were extremely uh, different back then because the market was just recovering when I just started trading and things were like, everything was going nuts at that point of time. Uh, the pound was almost at, I think three versus a dollar. Um, and you know, it was, uh, that was a lot of macroeconomic stimulation at that point of time. Interest rates were at the floor for, I think, multiple, multiple years. Um, so moving on to what do you think, like each of you, right? were some of your biggest learning curves in this past two years. The, the moment you started trading, like, and also it'll be really interesting to, to understand what actually motivated you to start trading and then what were your, your learning curves after that? And then any one of you can go first. So, sure. Like, like, I was saying, you, like I was saying before, I started in 2020. Uh, my older son came to me. He's like, you know, I, I bought these uh, shares through Robinhood, whatever. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm like, let me open an account. I open an account and <laughs> I, uh, I, believe me, I went straight into options. Nice. Uh, okay. It's right into options. I didn't know anything. I didn't know in the money, out of the money. Now Greeks, I didn't know anything. I just went right into it. Wow. And, you know, like, I don't know, probably most of the new traders, I got lucky. I bought Pfizer. That's why Pfizer is one of my uh you know big stocks and don't ask me how i made like five thousand dollars with the first options that i bought of course that is the uh we call it beginner's luck <laughs> right and then uh, the same way i won you know i made it the same way i lost it because again i didn't know what the hell i was doing right um and then after that i left options and i went into otc mm. uh don't ask me how. I think actually I do know how. Uh, I had a car accident. I had to go to physical therapy. And my the guy that was doing the physical therapy, he was into OTC. He was the one that told me about it. Oh, you listen, to, like, a, you listen to a very credible source then. Right, right, right. So I'm, like, so I'm like, okay, sure, let's get into it. And, you know, that was the boom of the OTC Um and um, I think I said, I explained, I told you this in the past. I made like $60,000 in three days. Yeah, you, you were mentioning that. that. That's nuts. That is pretty crazy. And and again, the same way I made it, the same way I lost it because I didn't really know what the hell I was doing. Right, right. And then after that, I said, you know what? It has to be a way to do this, you know, the right way. You got to be the right way to do it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I started, you know, watching videos, going into YouTube, doing this and that. But I was like, listen, I need to take a class. I need somebody to guide me. How the hell this thing works? Right. It got to be a way. It's not just, you know, stick your finger up in the air and click the button and, you know, you got lucky. I got to be a way. Yeah. And uh, I found you on Instagram. Ah, okay. And then, but when I found you, you were already going into the second not into the beginners you were going to the other class technical analysis yeah technical so i, I took the technical uh, you know i had and and then i i did it vice versa i took technical and then i took the beginners like months after okay okay i and think you remember that, yeah. 
And yeah, here we are. Well, I've been with you for what, about a year? Yeah, yeah, it must be. Uh, what do you think was the toughest, the toughest learning curve among the, the, the two years? I think still it is, is the discipline, the, you know, the, the being patient, the, you know, taking, you know, again, I don't think it was just me. I think 99% of the people that goes into trading absolutely believes that you're going to be a millionaire in six months. And, you know, you go into Instagram and all those other platforms where, you know, a lot of people showing how much money they make. So you think it's going to be the same for you. Yeah. And and that's probably the, the biggest, you know, part when you need to be mentally, you know, um, you know, Insane, yeah. mentally prepared that that this is not going to happen in a month or two. Yeah, this past okay. week is a is a big testament to that, isn't it? Right? Yeah, it takes time. It takes uh, it takes time. It takes patience. Um, that's probably the most, you know, the discipline, being disciplined. Yeah. And mentally strong, especially for what we went through last week. Yeah, you gotta be really mentally yeah strong. I knew I knew it the moment that we got that that little buy up and the short squeeze. I, I I already preemptively warned everybody. I was like, listen, this is not gonna be easy. This will be a mental torture, and then you will see the results after it. Uh, so, the, the, Peter, the uh, thing with me, the thing with me was about the. I literally I was going to hit the button for yeah. my stop sell and my yeah. internet went down. Oh, so, oh you, you lucky dog. You got saved. I'm telling you, <laughs> I'm telling you my internet went down and I was like, I, I haven't, God I did himself came down and stopped you. That's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> God himself came down to stop that event from happening, dude. I mean, I don't mean to bring the divine forces into this, but what else can be explained? That was the best right. thing that ever happened to you if you think about it, right? Right. Uh, and what about you, Peter? So uh, it's been two years now. Uh, what is what has been your biggest learning curve? How oh man! You, sorry, how did you uh, find how did you find EGA anyway? I have never asked you this question. I don't. So think. so I started trading in 2020, very similar to Ivan. Like I I made you know something like five grand or something off of uh, UPS options mm-hmm. options on UPS for their earnings, and they they beat earnings. You know, back when their their uh, revenue was surging from COVID, everybody mail ordering everything, and it's like it's like oh god, like this is for me, like this is what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, like Ivan, I I had my my own ups and downs. It was actually pretty consistent for a while, and I found you because I wanted to deepen my knowledge. I found Option Swing. Um, then I took uh, one of your classes. And then when you parted ways from Option Swing, I liked your style a lot. I liked you as a personality. I liked your approach to teaching and to, you know, organizing information. So I decided to check out EGA and I came over with you when you started that. Right. Took right. your other, took your intermediate class, took your TA class. Um, and, you know, I think for me, it took me a little while to catch up with myself. Like, I mean, I think a lot of people hit their big guh moment in trading early on. I hit my big gum moment in January of this year, right? Like when the, when the big trend changed, I got, I just got rolled. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I don't know how else to explain it. I just got mauled by the bear Mm -hmm. and it was compounded. Like there were a lot of collateral things that came up in my life outside of trading that, that just put me under siege um, mentally and psychologically. And 
early on before all of that sank in, I think I was taking the anxiety that I started to feel about everything else going on in my life. And it was translating into trading behavior. Like, you know, I'm going to make impulsive high risk decisions, presuming, you know, stupidly that they're going to go my way. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to catch the golden goose, right? I'm going to, I'm going to triple my trading account in six months. You know, these stupid expectations that people have when, when they get carried away with, with what leverage can do and, you know, options are, have tons of leverage built into them. Right. And so, um, you know, for me, I would say the, the biggest learning curve has been taming my own unruly psychology, uh, taming emotional impulse control, you know, you, I mean, you can learn technical analysis, you can have a macro thesis or, or whatever angle you want to take, but the relationship you have with yourself and your emotions and your biases and your beliefs and your money issues and your relationship issues and your self-esteem issues. And like, I mean, God, it's a can of worms, but all of those things, they're the things that you can't learn in a class. On no, the internet, absolutely. they're the things you can't learn in a textbook. They're the things YouTube won't teach you. They're they're the things you got to pay the iron price for to you yeah. know to use a Game of Thrones reference. It's like there's one way to learn, and it's the hard way, and it's harder for some people than others, depending on like where your mind is at when you start and what issues you have as a person to overcome. And so, for me, that's been that's been the biggest learning curve is just like cleaning myself out from the inside. I agree. And, and giving myself clarity, letting my mud settle so that the water is clear. And uh, you got to bring your lowest weaknesses up so they don't undermine your high level execution too much. Right. Yeah. Your high level execution will absolutely 110 percent be blown up by your low level flaws. If you don't address it, your low level weaknesses will cost you your high level genius. Oh, yeah, definitely. And here's the funny thing, though. So I don't think that we have all three been on a call before. So the the interesting thing here is you both went through individual paths in your own journey. But you when you come together, you start to realize, hey, wait a minute. There are actually a lot of similarities here. You went on an individual path through your own journey, but there are a lot of other traders out there that are going through similar paths. This is definitely, you know, something that we can attest to. I think that a lot of beginner traders and the traders that are in the market, I, I, as I've mentioned before, I call them COVID traders who have come in in 2020. They all are going through a similar path. And it's mainly a few things that really, really kill you. Like, okay, so what has been my biggest uh, uh, learning curve in, in trading, right? For me personally, I think it's bias issues. For me, it's always about bias issues. My deepest losses have always been caused by a deep sentiment bias that I have and then being sometimes a stickler on that bias. Sometimes it turns around and goes in my way and other times it just doesn't go my way, completely goes the opposite direction. And in late, like I want to say about five years ago, I have started to become a bit better at switching out of those uh, biases. Like, okay, I'm going to leave my bias behind, pick up the new bias, run on the new new path rather than sitting on the old, old path and brooding over why things are the way they are. People tend to ask themselves, why does the market do to do this to me personally? It's always a question of why me? Why is it that when I close a trade out, it reverses against me? Why is it that, you know, when, when uh, something that I do, the market maker tends to punish me? But actually, it's just all about timing and cadence of the market. 
And that's what I've seen. It tends to be the biggest mistake that people make uh, in terms of learning curve. Uh, and, and you're right. One thing about uh, what you said earlier, money issues, people that have money issues in life and then they start trading, it doesn't make it better. It amplifies those issues. <laughs> it makes it so much worse. It's so much worse. Yeah, because when you're trading with little capital to begin with, your um, your urge to prove yourself right and that degree becomes much higher. So you or conversely, when you're trading with a lot of capital to begin with, your assumption is that the money will save you. Oh yeah, you have so much money that that you know it'll work out. Uh huh. Uh huh. And uh, I um that that is every bit the weakness that that insecurity because of too little capital causes. Every single mm-hmm. bit is dangerous. Because because of the OTC, I end up on a on another Discord that is only about OTC. And and you guys will not believe the 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 craziness that people does in the OTC world, man. Like I've seen guys and I know guys that have put two hundred and fifty thousand dollars into an OTC, like oh crazy God. stuff. <laughs> wow, like crazy stuff, dude. Like like you say, I think to myself now that I know what I know. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, dude, the two hundred and fifty thousand would be much safer in in if you go into a you know. QQQ, a spy, whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah it, it might go down, but it's going to go back up one day. Yeah. When you go into yeah. this OTC and put that kind of money, like I hear people saying that they literally sold their house and stuff like that. And I'm oh, like, God. wow. Yeah. yeah, that's not Like, fair. you know, I, 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 again, I started playing with the, with the stock market with the money that I knew I could afford to, lo- to lose. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> That's the thing. I'm not risking, not risking, you know, my 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 house, my job, anything like that. Uh, so, yeah. but they could, you know, there is a lot of craziness out there that you will be amazed at. At the end of the day, the market is ruled by two king emotions: greed and fear, and that's what it boils down to. You're either on one side or the other. Sometimes you may be in the middle, but you will always swing between these two pendulums. It's it's definitely something that you know is inevitable um so that's that's great insight i mean honestly i i've never you know i've never dealt with otc markets before by the way it's something that i i have yet to even look at or even think about uh, don't don't you yeah. don't you don't need to don't need to believe <laughs> you, 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 you're doing good you don't need this man. i would you think so i would think so i i, I don't have any in, in that market um okay let, let's see here uh what are some of the most common mistakes you guys have made till date and Okay, actually, you know what? Let's switch it on its end. Let's not talk about the the bad anymore. Let's talk about some of the good too, right? We'll start with what do you think you've really mastered well, right? Uh, I think this is a good one. We can we can segue into a, a more positive light here before we dive back into the, the depth of darkness. <laughs> um, and um, maybe you want to start, Peter. What do you think has been something that you've been able to really master well in the past two years of trading? <laughs> huh. I don't know that I've really mastered anything. I'm I'm very reluctant to make that claim, right? Okay, just okay. because because I, I I I'm almost superstitious about that sort of thing now. Like I, yeah. in my, I've noticed there's a trend. You, you'll get to you'll talk about something. You know, it's why I don't talk about PNL or why I'm, I'm reluctant to talk about PNL is you talk about it, and then then something in the universe decides you need a spanking. <laughs> <laughs> you get spanked. Uh, so I'm not going to say I've mastered anything. That being said, I I have made. I've got a lot of inner fortitude now that I didn't have before. Okay. Um, I'm not going to say like I don't have weak hands, but 
I know how to take a punch. Yeah. Um, and that's not nothing, right? Like that's not nothing. Yeah. Um, I, I've also gotten in the last, uh, in the last year since, since I've just sort of had to regroup with everything, um, much, much better at just mechanical consistencies. Like, like, look, like enter here, exit there. If it goes against you, just exit. Like, don't cling to your bias. Yeah. Uh, I, that's something I, I really worked on a lot this year is, you know, I, I started like only scalping. Like I, I wouldn't swing any trades. I wouldn't even take day trades. I would only scalp. I, I've had pretty strict parameters for that. And my main task has just been like the winning will take care of itself, but so will the losing if you don't stop it. So stop it when it goes against you. Like that was almost my single-minded focus is when you enter this trade, understand you're, you're in it for five minutes, 10 minutes, maybe an hour. If, if you, if you catch a good run, but you're not in it all day. You're definitely not in it tomorrow. And you're definitely not in it with any fancy macro thesis that tells you what's going to happen over the next year. Right. Like you're in it for a minute. (laughs) And if it's not going your way, get out. It doesn't matter if you're wrong, but when you're wrong, get out of the way. Yeah. The one, and, um, the, the you know, that's something you helped me with when we were talking about this earlier this year. You you helped me put together a little for, a framework to just, like, focus. I mean, my, my mind was blitzkrieged. I didn't know how to focus. I was just kind of yeah. reeling from everything. And it's like, look, just focus on this. Like, limit your risk uh, when, like, don't be greedy with profits. Be happy with 10%. Be happy with 15%. Be happy with 20%. And when it starts to go against you, like, don't even think, just cut. It doesn't matter. You don't have to be the only reason people get, I think, I think with new traders too, like one of the main things new traders deal with is the insecurity that comes from not having any confidence that they know how to find the next opportunity. Oh, yeah. yeah. So they, they see a setup that, that, oh, it's just what they've been looking for. It's just right. And they get into it and then it doesn't go their way. But they cling to it because they don't have the inner conviction that there's another opportunity just around the corner. The market's nothing but opportunities. There are thousands of them, yeah. Yeah, There's nothing but opportunities. All it is is opportunity. It wants to give you what you want. You just have to expose yourself to it correctly. And so, you know, due to a lack of confidence or an insecurity or or a, a sense of weakness that they have about themselves, they'll cling to a trade that, that is going against them because they're hoping that it'll turn around because they're just so bloody scared that they're not going to find another one. That's And I mean, I've definitely suffered from that. It's not something that happens consistently to me, but I definitely experienced that. And I can only surmise that other other people suffer from it too. And when you don't, when you don't have that basis of conviction within yourself, right? Like when you, when you're unable to place a bet on yourself, then you're going to cling to the bad bet you placed on the market because oh, yeah. you don't you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Literally you don't know what you're doing because you don't know what you're looking for. You just you kind of have a vague idea. But anyway, so what have I mastered? I, I've gotten good at cutting risk when it goes against me. You know, this That's last week caught me by surprise, unfortunately. But but like before that, just consistently, it's like, no, you just cut it. And then it doesn't matter if you lose because you know what you're doing. You know, you have a system that you're that you're working within. And when it goes against you, it's OK because you have a tracker. So I've been keeping a trade log and a and a journal. And it's like all you have to do is look at look at your spreadsheet and you'll see that there's something here that's been working. 
And so when you take a loss, all you have to do is look back. It's like, look, that's a loss, but it's a loss in the midst of of more wins and bigger wins than this loss represents. Correct. So that, you know, I, I took a, I took a hit this week. Like I, I haven't had the good fortune of uh, God unplugging his internet. Not only that, uh, I, had the, I, I had the good fortune of God ignoring me when I made a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> and I took a, I took a big hit at the top of that shirt squeeze. Yeah. Um, and rather than like let it breathe and play out and like let the day unfold, you know, I was so consumed by it's like, God, this loss was a big one. Like I, I oversized the trade. I didn't cut it when it went against me. It kept running and it ran and it didn't just run. It ran 200 points in like two hours. It was just yeah. absurd. Yeah, and, and, that, that, and then blindsided me, right? And so here's the thing about that. Here, here's the thing about that. See, when when that short squeeze happened, right? Um, you got to think about one thing. It's that's the wave up. It's an impulse wave, right? Totally. An impulse wave is gonna have price action go manic. Everybody's yeah. scrambling for exposure at that point. So all the bulls are like, yeah, let's go higher, higher, higher. And even, you know, I can tell you institutions jump on the boat. Everybody jumps on the boat. It adds fuels to the fire higher, higher, and higher. So your only best bet in that situation is wait for the wave to come down. You have to wait for that pullback because you need to figure out where demand is after such a, a, a huge right. demand wave, Right. And it's likely that demand's not going to be as high anymore until and unless you break out into a much higher space. There's a very low chance that you keep going higher and higher and higher. Even though I'm I'm saying it's not like that's unlikely. What I'm saying is it was unlikely in that scenario because it was a mechanism reaction rather than it was a fundamental change in like let's say for example, Powell came out and say something like, "Oh, you know what? We might." Um, you know, uh, halt the interest rate uh, uh, hikes. But that's not what happened. That CPI print that came out, it w- it was almost like the nail in the coffin for the 75 basis point rate hike in November or more. And so oh, for, me, yeah, basis points. for me, in, in the short run, fundamentally, nothing changes. And if nothing changes fundamentally, then tech, then the technicality of it doesn't matter. It's just a matter yeah, of time. Slow down. Yeah. yeah. You just let it play out. You let it play out. You let that market breathe come back down. When it comes back down, you can reassess from there, right? So I was waiting for that specifically. And that's what I was telling you guys. It's going to be a mental game. Um, that was what I was, I was, I was kind of, you know, giving you guys that direction. I, I wrote a big post about it on the, on the trading floor too. I was like, Hey, listen, listen, this happened. Yes. You might feel like crap, but listen, this is, you know, the, one of the things about trading, you got to have thick skin. You were talking about it earlier. Um, over the years as a trader, you start off and what happens is you become very trigger happy. So, you see a move happen, you're immediately out. You see a move happen in a counter direction, you're in. And that kills your portfolio because you don't realize it, but you're chasing before the move happens. When you're in a trading scenario and you're cha- chasing a wave either up or down, you're behind the move. So you're mm-hmm. almost trying to catch a train that's moving. Now, it doesn't mean that that's a bad trade because you could still make some money on it. There is probably some excess return that you could squeeze out of that move. But what happens in those moments is you're setting yourself up for a bad discipline. And your idea is to always buy on the opposing trends rather than buying on the positive trends. But your job is to figure out when the trend changes. That is the biggest analytic uh, analytical part about trading. It's figuring out, okay, when are we going from a downtrend to an uptrend? And that on Friday, or sorry, Thursday was not a trend change because a trend change would require a higher high and a higher low and then a higher high again. 
so it was a technical squeeze. It was a technical squeeze. And that's the reason why I knew that we would come down the next day. I was very confident of it. And okay, I, I wasn't as confident as Ivan because Ivan was smart enough to average at the top. But I wanted to make sure that we were confirmed. <laughs> and midway through, <laughs> my thing is, my, my thing was, and I think I mentioned it to you even before we opened on Friday, was 37, 35 was a really big support in the previous wave. So yeah. to me, 37, 35 was going to be a big resistance now. That's right. So I was like, if we hit 37, 35 hard and we, you know, rejected hard, I say, I'm going to average there. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and that's what I did. You know, I gave it a shot. Sometimes you're not supposed to do that. I know that. No, I mean, it, it could work out either way, but you think about it. Even you double your risk there. You, you are now creating yourself a pivot point where you can manage your risk pretty easily. So that it wasn't a bad move. Trust me. Um, I think that it was a smart move because when the market came down, you gone into profits much quicker. That's what happens when you average down. Uh, for me, I managed to average down and make just a few hundred dollar uh, loss in that trade. And, and I was more than happy being 70% down from that short squeeze and then coming down to like, what, 5% loss. That was a great, great day, right? Uh, I thought I was never going to see that money. In fact, I thought the small account was going to start back from $5,000. And I was like, oh, I was ready to accept that too because I that's what I bet on, right? Um but sorry, we're we're kind of branching out to different things now. Uh, I wanted to go go back to the main topic of what we were talking about, which was uh, which was um, uh, how what you know what was something that you mastered really well, Ivan, in the past two years. The you no know, the, the 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 technical analysis definitely the the you know learning how to properly read a, a chart, the you know, identify. It when you are in a, you know, on an uptrend, on a downtrend, you know, where your pivots are. Uh, that, and like Peter said before, yeah, mentally as well, you know, I'm I'm not going for the 100 or 200% trades anymore. I, I, I'll take my 25, 20%, yeah. you know, scale out and set my stop loss. And, you know, if he went higher, happy. And if it didn't, then... Well, it is what it is. That is that, that's the name of it. That's the name of the game. That is literally it. And and I keep telling this to new traders because that is the biggest conundrum. It's when you get to 25%, 35%, 40%, and it's running and keeps running, and you see those green candlesticks, that is the moment your greed sets in. You know, you have to be hypersensitive to those conditions. It's whenever you see something's going like your profits are really, really starting to to build up, that's the moment you have to take a step back and be like, okay. There's something going on here that I need to be care uh, like I don't not get carried away with, and you have to be super disciplined at that moment and be like, okay, this is where I need to take a step back, take something off the table, let the rest of it ride. That's exactly um, you know how I would do it too, and I think that's pretty much all of our teaching in EGA anyway. Our curriculum is built around that. It's take some of the profits off, stop looking for unrealistic expectations of a hundred percent every day because that's not going to happen. And you think about twenty percent of your portfolio compounded every week, let's say you only played one trade a week and you took 20% on that trade every week, that compounding in a year would be insane. insane. If you have the ability to consistently pull 20% and you know it and it's it's within you and you're just like, I know that I have an edge that's good for 20% anytime I come to the market, you'll make as much money as you ever want to make in life. Oh yeah, You can scale that as much as you want. That consistency is priceless. 
you know, about what, a month and a half ago, I went on one of those, you know, bad strikes where everything goes the other way. Yeah. And you continue fighting it and you continue fighting it. You continue oh, yeah. fighting it. I did it. I did it for, I, I did it for about two or three days. And then I said to myself, you know what? That's it. I close it. I, I close my, 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 you know, my uh, brokerage account. Yeah. I continue watching the charts and everything every day, go joining the Discord with you guys. And, but I wasn't trading. And I said to myself, I'm going to take a couple of days off. Yeah. And then the weekend came all, you know, you know, over the weekend, I sat down, I rewatched the videos again from a year ago. And I came on Monday fresh and I started again. And, you know, like I say to you guys, I, I, I literally, I turned 3K into like 28K in two and a half weeks. That was, that, that is nuts. And that, uh, congratulations yeah. to you, by the way, first of all, that requires a lot of discipline. And I can tell you that, you know, especially since you're taking a new path and you're on this new discipline level, I think that from here, the sky is the limit, quite literally. Um, so let's go into another part of this uh, podcast where we talk about if you could go back in time, right, back to the two years where you first started trading and tell yourself a piece of advice, like you could go back in time and tell yourself just one thing, a piece of advice to yourself in the past, what would that be? Find a mentor. <laughs> yeah, that, okay, that is, that is pretty true. Uh, honestly, I, I didn't have a mentor, but I had, you know, a couple of friends who were, you know, like-minded and we started at the same time. Uh, but if I had a mentor, it would have been much easier. I am self-taught, fully, 100% self-taught. Um, I, but then again, don't forget, I have a background in bachelor's in finance, master's in finance. So I had a very good grip on, you know, financial markets to begin with. And I was very interested already. Um, I was hyper, hyper curious when I first started trading. And it's not like I'm not now. You require yourself to be hyper curious in this profession. It's, you have to know everything about anything. Um, and the smallest piece of information will convey the biggest move, actually, sometimes. It could be the smallest thing people are missing out on. Um, and I actually love looking at earnings calls or looking at what the upper management is saying about a business, reading through their balance sheets, income statements. Those are all the things that I really love. Even looking at what insiders are buying and selling, those are you know important things in the market sometimes that people overlook because yes, there is the part of trading which it has the consensus where price action prices in everything, but there are some parts of trading that does not price in some things which are for example, forward-looking sentiments of insider uh, people who are, are a part of business and they are looking at other things within the market that you don't know, you know? Um, but yeah, if that that's a good one. Find a mentor is a good one. And if I could go back in, in the past and tell myself a piece of advice, it would be be patient. Like be pa patience is one of the most important skills being a trader because that's what 90% of your trading life is going to be like. You might go through an entire week, five days of trading. Four days might be literally waiting around, waiting for the right setup to form. And then on the one day, you make all the money for the week because you waited that long and you didn't jump in and out a thousand times and you didn't, you know, tell yourself like, oh man, there's an opportunity here and here and here. But then you didn't wait for everything to align. I always call it like it's, you got to wait for that golden moment when everything is aligned nicely the, the indices are aligned, the, you know, the likelihood that people are going to take risk are aligned, the risk to reward ratio structure is aligned. So many things have to align and then the move happens. It's like, you remember, I keep talking about that highway. If you're on a highway and you have traffic lights, 
all the lights have to be green in order for capital to flow in one direction. And if you have non-directional moves, then you're just going to chop in between. So I always say patience is the most important thing. What about you, Peter? Uh, to put it very succinctly, slow down. Yeah, that's good- um, slow down. Like just calm down. This is a process that you'll refine over time. It's not a thing you'll do in a year. Um, and you're not using a hammer to pound a single nail. You're trying to thread 10,000 needles. Oh yeah. It, yeah. It, it, it's different. Your, your, your task is not to hammer a brokerage account to the moon in a year. Your task is to find something consistent about your ability to engage with the market and figure out how to capitalize it. Oh yeah. Consistent. Yeah. And then you get to go to the moon. Right. Yeah, but, but, but you're not going to force it. You're not going to, you're not going to the roulette table, right? Like you're not, you're definitely not going to assert yourself against the market. <laughs> you know, there's, you're not going to, you're not going to sell it. You're not going to harangue it. You're not going to manipulate it. You're not going to force it to do what you want it to do. So like, just slow down and That's true. and refine your process. This is one of the things that I I am currently changing in the new uh, version of EJ that's going to be coming out in a month or, or so, like maybe a month and a half or so. We we no longer will be taking in students who are going to just approach this from the short term because we now understand, and this has been after numerous success stories from our students, this process takes much longer than people anticipate. So if people are jumping into the world of trading and they expect to learn it within just you know uh, six months or three months, we no longer want to accept that kind of a scenario. I think that we think we we now understand that the learning curve for somebody to 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 pick up this profession or pick up this seriously, if you're a serious person looking to pick up trading, it's going to take a minimum of one year. And so our curriculum is now built for a year's worth of um, you know work and inner work and self work, where you're going to be putting in a lot of work and time with me personally. Um, that's something that I'm I'm changing within our curriculum because last time you could do beginner technical analysis course that would probably take you maybe you know a month or two or maybe three months, and then you you know hop on the Discord for about two months, which is a total of about let's say five to six months. And we we used to see students get to the like the edge, like they would see tremendous improvements. But then not really to the level where I would say, you know, okay, this person's ready to take off on their own. So we need them to commit a year now because a year is a good amount of time where you'll see a decent market cycle, especially if you think about just this year. This year has been insane, right? We had almost pretty much from peak high and now we're going to a low, uh, uh, which is actually pretty crazy. Um, So I think that that's that's a very good point. Uh, But... uh, you know, going on the same topic, um, how have both of your journeys in EGA been so far? Uh, you know, just in a nutshell, literally less than, you know, three sentences. Uh, you know, how, how has your journey in EGA been so far? Because I'm, I'm truly not trying to plug EGA here. I just want to know, um, you know, what your, your opinion was based on what you've gone through with us so far. Um, I'll, I'll give you an answer. Yeah. Uh, it has cut through the loneliness inherent to trading. Mm. Trading can be a profoundly lonely activity. Um, it's not always respected by people out in the world at large. They don't take it seriously or they don't view you view you as doing something real. And so EGA, like not, I mean, obviously there's the education aspect of it. Uh, and it's also, you know, it's funny to cut jokes with people and have the humorous side of it, but there is just kind of something nice about 
having a seriously minded community of people who are all kind of working through the same problems and trying to achieve the same outcomes for themselves in their own, you know, as it, as it is unique for each individual, right? Like many paths to the same desired destination. And, and so that's been really, at times that's been very, very nice, right? Because you, you, you're wrestling with a problem and it's like, Oh, well, there's somebody that I can check in with, you know, having a mentor like Ivan said is important because like, well, maybe somebody has been through this before they have some perspective that, that can help unstick me, or maybe there's something I can do to that. It'll just wiggle me loose and, and yeah. help me get to that next breakthrough myself. And, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, the education is great. The, the social aspect is great, but really the, the professional community, I guess for like, you know, uh, to call it that, the professional community is nice because we don't work in big banks and we're not institutional traders and we're not on some desk at, at a place in New York where, you know, we're just people with our laptops at home, mostly, I think, or yeah. in an office doing something else somewhere. It's not, uh, it's not, there's not a lot of community offline for right. a lot of us. I right. think, what about you, Ivan? Oh, that's EGA. No, listen, um, I'm, I'm so glad I found EGA again. I found you on the internet and the EGA totally changed my, the game. It totally changed the game for me. Um, you know, like I said it from the beginning, the, the, the bad experiences that I had, probably I could say 80, 90% of the people have been like, I'm done with this. This is not for me. I'm, I'm yeah. done. Yeah. Um, I, I was like, no, I got to I gotta figure it out. I found you and, you know, it's, it's you know, like Peter said, um, it's, um, you know, it's really good to be able to, you know, go to, Every day in the morning, sit down and be able to talk to somebody that is in the same page with you. Yeah, and we are looking for the same goal, you know. Um, and again, you know, last three four weeks we've been all like in sync, and you know, we 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 did a beautiful job. Insane. You know, this past two months have been insane. Yeah, right. We we did we did so. It's really it's really nice, and and you know, EGA. It's it's been a, a game changer for me. I I it's been a game changer. I'm honestly really really happy to hear that. I you know I've been working really hard to build this community into something that is, um that has a piece for for everybody. And I think more importantly for us to be a uh, community built on integrity, respect, and just you know not have a lot of noise. The noise is what really kills it in many other. Um, communities. And obviously, I'm not going to say which communities or what, because I think that everybody has their own edge. Uh, but I think the most important thing that we aim and strive to do is not throw you and make you reliant on this, you know, the ideas that we throw out. It's more like, hey, listen, this is what I'm thinking, why I'm thinking it. This is the way I think it's going to play out. Watch it play out with me and see how it goes. And, you know, this is how we're going to capitalize on this move. And mo- majority of the time about... <coughs> 70, 80% of the time, it does, which is a beautiful part. So let's um, move into the meat and bones of this uh, convo right now, because I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of things to talk about. Um, and, um, you know, with regards to at least the macroeconomic climate, um, monetary policy, fiscal policy, um, I think that we're in very unprecedented times right now. 
we have midterm elections coming up, which, uh, you know, is going to be obviously I, I want to stay away from the politics in this, but uh, it's going to be a very tough uh, election for the U.S., or especially for Democrats to win because of where the economy is. Um, and then the Federal Reserve has its work cut out for itself big time because they've been trying to implement tightening of monetary policy, but then it's failing. Uh, and the bond market accurately sniffed this out. I spoke about this almost, I want to say now, coming to six to eight months prior, uh, when, when the bond market started selling off, I started, uh, you know, alerting you guys on how, uh, you know, the bond market is now pre- performing in an inverse relation. Uh, the interesting thing is uh, quantitative tightening is supposed to stop or pause at the end of this month, but then the Fed is likely to uh, you know, raise interest rates again and then continue QT uh, probably in the next Fed meeting. So the Fed really has a delicate balance here, and it's no longer a question about hard or soft landing. We are going to land hard. It's you know that, that there's a very low chance that we're going to um, land in a very soft pace where the economy will recover strongly. Yeah, you were going to say something. Well, you know, before when you say about EGA, the, yeah. this is the, probably the best part about EGA is that you just don't go there, sit down, wait for somebody to give you a signal by this or that. You you have told us the, the back end of why things work the way they work. Oh, yeah. You know, the, how the economy works, uh, how, you know, if the bonds go down, what's going to happen to equities. And mm-hmm. I know there are plenty other discourse out there that you do not get any of that. You, you just, right. you just yeah. get the, you buy here, you sell there, you make money, you go home and you're happy. But what are you actually learning? Maybe you're you learning. get a charter too, you know. So you're, so not, that, you're that, not learning anything. And those people operate on the consensus that price action is the most efficient form of information, which is not untrue. However, when markets get irrational, this is how, um, you know, new traders get misled because um, obviously there, you know, there's a, a theory. Um, this is, this was purported by, sorry, I'm going to go a bit geek and nerdy here for a second. Um, but this was purported by, uh, you know, Robert Schiller and uh, Amos Tversky, who were two Nobel Prize winners. Uh, and then you have Eugene Fama, who also popularized this theory, which is the efficient markets hypothesis, where, uh, you know, they won a Nobel Prize uh, just observing that price action is king. Um, in other words, the price of a stock or a price of a financial security prices in all of the future possibilities of what, uh, you know, uh, it's likely to happen. However, the thing is that works in the market where, you know, things are stable in an unstable market, which we are currently, for example, monetary policy is going to be very erratic. Uh, the Fed is literally going backwards on the monetary policy that it once laid out when the COVID uh, situation mm-hmm. happened. And so we're going in reverse now where we were, we are literally backtracking all the way back to before that. And we're likely to go even past that. Um, and, you know, a lot of this, as I mentioned, um, is not going to actually um, unwind itself until the one, co- uh, one uh, sorry, the uh, zero uh, COVID policy in China gets fixed. This is something that people are overlooking massively. Um, you know, manufacturing and exports are one of uh, the China's biggest things. And with the entire Chinese market pretty much shut down at the moment, um, and it continues to be very, very um, rigid, right? 
uh, it's affecting supply chains all over the world. And then not to mention now we have a war between Russia and Ukraine. It's making things worse. Everything's going to be more expensive. Obviously, some prices have come down and they're rebalancing themselves. Uh, but also the other thing was uh, talked about about what I want to say four months ago by um, Michael Burry, who you remember the guy from The Big Short, right? Um, he was talking about the bullwhip effect, which is now being seen, right? Uh, the effect of which before we had a choke in, uh, in supply where things were pretty much very scarce. And now uh, suppliers have doubled down on their inventory and now they were surplus. So prices are falling and there's no demand. So it, everything in the market where it was last year is now reversing in the complete opposite direction. Almost like how you would go from fear to greed. The same thing is happening um, in the markets in terms of macroeconomic climate. It's really interesting stuff that's going on right now. Um, but this is all going to lead to a very tough recovery in, in the market, in my opinion. Um, recession is obviously going to happen already. That's you know inevitable at this point. The question is, how painful is it going to be? How long is it going to be? Those are obviously questions we're not going to have answers to. The U.S. market is, you know, historically been a very um, robust market, though. It, the job market has been robust. Uh, even the economy has been robust. I think that, you know, we have the likelihood to recover, but it's it's just how long are we going to take to recover? Um, and then you also have, you know, the fact that um, now there are a lot of other things changing, which are, for example, um, the energy crisis. And I personally, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I, I think that we're going to move from an inflation crisis to an energy crisis in, in the near, like, probably two years or so because of what um, is going on globally. Um, I spoke about this, I think, very briefly one or two weeks ago where we, we just recently found out about OPEC's uh, cut in terms of uh, the oil supply. And um, it's almost like they're cornering the market because they're kind of taking back their profits from what they lost during the COVID process. And uh, all that margin where they pretty much slimmed themselves down to, now they understand that with such tightening policies and monetary policy in the U.S., these oil companies can't borrow cheap, abundant capital to dig up additional wells and, and make up for that supply. So it's very, it's a very much so a, a, a squeeze in the energy crisis right now as well. Um, and I think it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, what are what are some of your opinions? Uh, I'll be curious to to actually know. I think uh, the macro situation is going to get worse before it gets better. Um, for a lot of the reasons you said, I mean, COVID stress tested globalism, our, you know, sort of our globalist economy in a pretty big way. Uh, we saw a lot of things that were too fragile to withstand it. And the breakdown of supply chains and restrictions on travel and mobility significantly inhibited uh, not just international trade, uh, but they also contributed dramatically to inflation. Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, it's not it wasn't just the restrictions, but uh the socioeconomic instability uh, domestically, like within the United States, certainly, and, and plenty of other places uh, caused by COVID lockdowns and the business closures, like these things led a lot of governments, certainly the U.S. government, to implement significant monetary in intervention to mitigate the damages. Uh, and so that contributes to inflation. And then you add to that the instability in energy markets caused by the geopolitical conflict in places like Ukraine. And it's like there's just a confluence of adverse variables attacking the macroeconomic status quo yeah. in like the biggest way possible. And 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 so 
you know, the pattern emerged in 2008, you know, where crises were dealt with by quantitative easing. And the assumption was that QE and the balance sheet would not lead to runaway inflation, right? And, and in 08, that ended up being the case. Like it, it looked like, oh, we, this is something we can do. It, it works. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the chickens have come home to roost in, uh, in 2022. And now the Fed has to try and unwind, you know, this unprecedented liquidity manipulation, you know, the, with its old fashioned tools of interest rates and QT. It's like, what, what rates are necessary to tame like the highly accelerated multi-trillion dollar liquidity injection that we've seen in the last year. Like, I mean, how high it's like they say, oh, inflation's at a 40 year high. Yeah. But 40 years ago, they didn't put trillions of dollars into the market in like two years. Like they just didn't. And so, you know, they're fighting inflation, but they only have tools to fight conventional inflation. They don't have tools to fight this Frankenstein inflation that we've got that, that's coming not only just from, you know, monetary policy, which interest rates should be able to address, which quantitative tightening should be able to address, but they, there's also supply chain driven inflation. And on top of that, there's, uh, energy driven inflation. And, and so when your widgets from China are more expensive because China has a zero COVID policy and they're just not manufacturing enough. So supply gets squeezed. Right. And those widgets from China that are already more expensive are made more expensive because Russia is attacking Ukraine and OPEC is cutting production and oil is more expensive. Come to the United States and then they're marketed at an up at an increased price because of monetary inflation in an environment where wages aren't rising. And like, you know, the purchasing power of regular people isn't very, it's like, what do you expect that an interest rate can do to that? Yeah. It can't do anything. Here's the thing. Of course it's going to land hard. It's going to, it's going to land so hard. Our ears will ring for a decade. It's, this is the interesting thing. Sorry, just give me one second. I want to, I want to make a very important point here because the, the Fed has taken the framework of a Keynesian economic policy for a long time. And now they've moved into MMT, which is modern monetary theory. For I want to say, uh, for a good part of the last decade. Um, and you know, the, they're using all tools to solve new problems. This is kind of where the problem lies. It's, you know, we have a traditional framework of where a fiat currency is manipulated. And, you know, you, the, 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 the old school of thought is let's spend our way out of this hole, which is print money at the rate where, you know, you can have a higher growth rate in the economy. And then hopefully the problem solves itself, but that would have worked in the past. Now it doesn't work. Why? Because you have just a adverse geopolitical uh, conflict. And at the same time, you have parts of the world that have now come together to corner the United States of America. It's really literally as Ray Dalio puts it, there is a changing tide that's going on, a changing world order, so to speak, which a lot of people spoke about in the previous. And honestly, people were thinking, oh man, this is just a, a conspiracy and blah, blah, blah. No, actually it's been in the works for a while. The changing world order, I'm not saying it's a conspiracy. What I'm saying is the US has been at the forefront of the reserve currency system for a while. And that's what really held the world together. Even in terms of, uh, think about the petrodollar where everything uh, purchased was backed by the dollar and reserve currencies around the world were using the dollar parking in the dollar and now you see a massive massive um a problem there because the system is so intricately connect 
that every single piece that moves is affecting another piece. You know, that, that's what the issue is. And now you have, like, openly stated, like, are the, the U.S.'s most significant counterparties, right, like China in particular, they're openly against the the dollar remaining the reserve currency. I mean, they're not, they're not concealing it. It's not like, oh, well, we might we might want to get away from this at some point. No, they're actively, hyper-aggressively implementing policies to get them off the dollar. Oh, yeah. But they do not want the because dollar. Because they're scared. They're scared. They, yeah. they literally do not have faith in it anymore. Ivan, you were saying something. I was going to say that, you know, when, when COVID happened and – and I wasn't really into the, you know, economic side and all that. I've been learning that with you for the last year or so. But when the COVID happened and they started printing money left and right, and everybody was happy, and I understand where the government was coming from to help, you know, people and all that. But I told my coworkers, don't think this this money is a free money. No way. This money, this money we're going to pay it. And I, as a matter of fact, you know, I didn't get any of that money. But I said yeah. to them, we are going to pay this money three or four times Absolutely. the value that you get in. Yeah. That that $1,000 or $1,200, believe yeah. me, it's going to be it's gonna be five or $10,000 down the road. And again, I wasn't into the, you know, the economic and, and you know, the, 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 all the stuff that you have taught us in the past year. Yeah. But listen, th- th- that money was not going to be free that... The, at one point, it had to come back down to us. If you think about it, what was the stimulus? The stimulus was a huge loan by the government. That's what it was. Right. And loans have an interest expense tagged to it. And in this case, the interest expense is exactly what you're paying now. The in, the rate the rate hikes that you're seeing right now is literally the interest expense that you're paying on the money that was QE'd out to everybody. Because that is the basis of time value of money. You borrow something now, you have to pay it back in the future with interest. And um, that's the case here. It's you borrow a bunch of money, you have to pay it back and it's going to be painful. And if the past has taught us anything, uh, I'm talking about specifically about the time and era of Walker and Bernanke, who were two of the most ruthless Fed chairmans. uh, And they had to do what they had to do back then. Uh, Bernanke had to do, well, what Bernanke had to do during his time has pretty much been attributed to like causing the 2008 financial crisis. Um, and Walker had to do a similar move during his time as a Fed chairman because he had to also cause that pain um, when inflation was high. So the Fed has this framework, which you have to op- operate by, and they're very stringent on it. Why? Because they cannot you know, have political influences. Um, and right now, the situation that Powell is in, he went through a president who was like, all right, let's, you know, open the floodgates. Obviously, I'm talking about Trump when he was in power, uh, not to get political once again. Um, but then now, with a Democratic president in the House, they have to re- reverse those policies, mainly because the economy is in the gutter, right? So it's it's really a cause and effect situation, which is not I, likely to get uh, resolved so easily. I was going to say that, you know, that, you know, um, I'm, I'm in different, you know, your Discord and other Discord, and, and you, you hear people's opinions and... Yes, I, I know. And not to get into politics because I'm not really into it either side. Yeah. I, I have my own opinions about both sides. But the way that the stock market went in 2020 
it was, you know, it went so high, too yeah. fast. Yeah. What did you expect? Well, like, I, I tell people, what did you expect? This was yeah. going to continue running into 10,000 SPX yeah. 500 yeah. with no pullbacks, no nothing, because because we had an excellent president. Yeah. No, the, 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 the injection that they put into the economy to recover it so fast, yeah. at the end of the day, I think we are suffering now of that so fast recovery that they, they, you know, they pushed through. There was an article posted by uh, Morgan Stanley just, I feel, I think six months ago, okay? Um, out of the $1,200 stimulus check that each household received in America, guess how much of that money went to the stock market? Just take a wild guess. Oh, Jesus. 70 Out of the 1000 but wait, 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 you got it wrong. It wasn't 1200 per family. Oh, no, no. It was like, I believe it was per individual, right? Mm-hmm. Right, but then families. Get but like depending, that. but depending how much money you made us in on the as a, you know on the household. Right. right, I'm just saying for the people that got the thousand two hundred stimulus, right? How much of it do you think went into the stock market? That's the question I'm asking. Out of the one thousand two hundred, yeah, I would say a thousand. You're right. It was a thousand dollars. It was a thousand dollars. Can you believe that? <laughs> Can you believe that? That is that is that was tracked by spending, and obviously, uh, so during the the months that were leading after the stimulus, banks have a very see banks have a really good insight on these things. Why? Because they can see what consumer uh, spending is on, right? And so a lot of that household net income rose. The household, uh, uh, you know, the investments in in their stock portfolios immediately rose. Why? People took the stimulus and dumped it in the stock market right when it was running up. Everybody and their moms and barbers and and I don't know shoe shiners were traders at that point of time. It was the trader boom because everybody was like, "Man, the market's running so high." You know, this is the recovery that we all wanted. You know, it was that demand build up. Everybody had in their minds like, "Oh," and meanwhile, I was warning everybody at that point of time. Why? Because I I was seeing something where the market was having two years of double digit growth now. In this year, the start of this year, what I was thinking would be we would get low single-digit growths. That was I was thinking. I was thinking, okay, maybe we taper off a little bit, and then next year, 2023, was the year where you know we would come into a negative. But we got here so quickly, it is insane. I never expected us to go negative double-digit this year so quickly, but it's also obviously because of the monetary policy that, that has a huge... Um, we're a sneeze away from erasing the entire COVID bull run. Pretty much. The entire thing. Like we're, we're like 100 points away from just erasing the whole the yep. whole COVID frenzy. Yep, yep. It's gone. Pretty much. Pretty much. And we'll likely come back to that level. It's, it's a very high chance that we come back to that level, uh, which brings me into the next point here so that we can uh, wrap things up a little bit. Um, so short-term view and long-term view of the market here. Um, I, I wanted to get you guys' uh, opinions. What do you think, uh, you know, where we head? Obviously, there's no way to predict. Uh, but what do you feel? What do you feel? What is your inner bull and bear or wolf telling you about this market? Uh, what do you think happens in the next two years? And then what do you think happens in the next 10? Then I can start. Um, and I think that the next two years are going to be probably the most painful time for uh, most economies and markets around the world, especially if this conflict within Russia and Ukraine is not settled because this is what is causing a lot of the pain a lot of uncertainty and investor sentiment to tank um here's the funny thing we haven't even seen mutual funds 
and institutional, I'm talking about like pension funds, start to sell yet. That hasn't started yet, guys. It has not started. So we're only what we've seen so far is a lot of the retail traders getting out of the market. We've seen a handful of you know uh, institutions get out of the market, like big banks lowering the exposure. But we have not seen people who are holding for the long term get out yet. So and they, by the way, they make up about seventy percent or sixty to seventy percent of what market cap makes up like VOO, SPY, it's all long-term pension fund holders. They don't believe in selling. But when the situation happens where you have a crash, believe me that there will be some selling from their end too. And that will add fuel to the fire. So I think the next two years, if prices get even lower uh, in terms of uh, like financial securities, it could add even more fuel to the fire. I think the next two years will be the most painful part for um, investors uh, but then this will also pose as the most, most opportunistic moment in your lives to build wealth. Because any sell-off in a market this deep and where asset prices get really, really discounted, um, you know, that's going to be a great moment to pick up stocks that are doing extremely well. And um, obviously, I'm not just talking about stocks that are the usual suspects like Apple and Microsoft, which are you know, have a lot of cash and can probably survive this period of time. I'm talking about growth stocks, uh, stocks that are, you know, on the forefront of innovation, disruption. Um, I'm not specifically just talking about like Kathy Wood's ARC fund because they obviously got decimated. Um, but there are a handful of stocks out there that have really good purpose for the future. Um, and, you know, if you think about it, Apple is still trading at around $138, which is below my fair value estimate for the stock. So we're actually still trading at a uh, price premium for Apple. And so is Microsoft. Microsoft and Apple are still trading at a premium. So we haven't still got deep discounts, which, you know, Apple is still trading above the lows of June. Uh, and we are likely to see those prices come down. Once Apple and Microsoft roll over, um, and the valuation starts to come down, that's when we can actually see, okay, you know, things are starting to get irrational now. We haven't entered irrationality yet. What, have, what you have been seeing as selling so far has been largely systemic. It's been like a very slow sell-off. And slow sell-offs are the worst because they are the sign of something changing internally that is fundamental. Uh, and then when that irrationality kicks in and people start getting exuberant to downside, that's when the capitulation happens. That's when people start panicking, they sell in fear. That's that moment that we're waiting for to really load up the boat. Like personally, for me, that's what I'm waiting for. Um, and I think that after two years or so, when, you know, the recession is is behind us, then we can start, uh, you know, purchasing for the next bull run, which will last a really long time. And I think it's going to, the next bull run will be obviously another 10 years, 12 years, um, and that will be a really nice time. But this bear market that we're, we are in right now, I don't see it being resolved very, very quickly. Um, it's just a lot of sticky things moving around. The war has to be sorted out first. That's one of the main things because the oil, oil prices are what is going to cause inflation to be sticky for a long time. Uh, what do you guys think? Two years, 10 years forecast? Um, I think we get mauled by the bear until uh, inflation eases up. Because, you know, inflation is the emergent value of all of those underlying problems, right? Inflation is the is the indicator for Ukraine. It's the indicator for, like, oil. It's the indicator for monetary policy. It's the indicator for supply chain. It's just the indicator for COVID. It's, it's like the grand indicator of how messed up 
everything is. You're, you're forgetting about right? the most important indicator where your barber tells you to buy Bitcoin. That hasn't come <laughs> <up> yet. <laughs> right. well, I have a who, who told you to buy OTCs with physiotherapy? <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. When um, telling you, hey, Bitcoin's a great investment. That's the time. Yes, that is the time. And so there's that, and and uh, I here's the thing: like even when that starts to ease up, like once the bottom is in, like I don't think it's going to be this V-shaped recovery like COVID was. Oh no 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 no! I think it's going to be a slow grind back up to all-time highs, yeah. and then we take off. Yeah, the bulls. Right? Have I mean, the wall it, of it could be two years of consolidation. Like once the inflation bottoms in, it could it could consolidate in the gutter for another two years. Because who knows what's going to happen? I mean, these problems are so big. And they're so wide-reaching. I think oil is a huge problem. Energy is a huge problem. I mean, if, if what you're saying is right, if if inflation yields itself to uh, an energy crisis, I mean, God, that, you want to talk about what starts wars? Oil starts wars. <laughs> energy crisis starts wars. Exactly People true. are not going to freeze to death any better than they're going to starve to death. Um, true. And so, like... The market's discounting all of this right now, right? That, that's what the selling is. This is is the selling is 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 the discount mechanism at work, saying how bad is bad gonna be between three and thirty months from now, between between next quarter and three years. Um, and so, until the three year outlook looks better, I think we keep selling. Yeah. Um, and like you like you said, there will be there will be mechanical catalysts that make it a lot worse. Like when institutions decide they're gonna start throwing in the towel at some of these key points, that will that will catalyze mechanical realities that are disconnected from any sort of discount mechanism, macro kind of classical finance thinking. And that'll just be like, oh, the big boys are creating disequilibrium in supply and demand, and it will just manifest itself as lower prices detached from any long-term sentiment it'll just be like oh well today we're gonna have a circuit breaker because you know fidelity decided to dump five percent or whatever so i don't think that Um, these mutual funds or these institutions will dump what i do think is that they're going to be manually eroding away their future earnings through mm -hmm. hedges this is the main problem here so as an think about it from the portfolio manager's point of view right uh, especially you learn this in finance, right? When you were taking um, bachelor's or, or even your master's, um, the primary way which, uh, you know, portfolio managers, uh, they hedge their portfolio is through buying put options on futures. Uh, and when they take that exposure on the table, uh, it's kind of like buying an insurance contract. And, uh, you know, because they don't know how long that correction is going to end, uh, essentially what they do is they take bite-sized pieces of insurance contracts and this erodes away at their return. So if you keep buying insurance contracts uh, for, you know, three months, for example, and then you after three year, three months, you reevaluate and you buy another one and you buy another one and you keep doing this for a period of, let's say, one to two years, your future earnings of those stocks are going to, or your, your mutual fund or your pension fund is going to erode. So essentially what you're doing is you're lowering your future future value of those terminal funds. And right now you're paying the price for it. And at some point of time, there is a biting point. There is a point at which it becomes less efficient to buy hedges. And rather it just becomes more efficient to dump some of that exposure and buy it back. And this is what we are waiting to see. This is that, you know, where capitulation likely happens. Um, but it's very unlikely that we see a dump from them. It's more likely that we see continued hedging. And then at some uh-huh. point in time when the pain gets too much, 
that's when they're like, okay, you know what? This doesn't make sense anymore. We'll just shed yeah. some skin. Yeah. yeah, we just shed some skin, shed some exposure. Um, and because remember, some of these funds are are leveraged too, right? Well, an interesting, interesting play into that too, right? Like these mutual funds, these pension funds, these are the vessels of of retirement assets in the United States. Exactly. And right now, like we have the largest generational cohort in history, the boomers, the largest generation right. we've ever had are all like retiring or At getting ready to retire. Yeah. And the value of their retirement assets, I mean, they're, so here's the thing, the, this perfect storm, right? They're facing the constraints of fixed income phase of life, right? Yeah. Like the retirement is a fixed income based on the value of the assets they've accumulated in their working lives. That's right. Inflation is going to destroy their purchasing power, and the market sell-off is going to destroy the value of their assets. And um, <coughs> and then when the real estate's turning over, like these interest rates are going to kill the value of their homes and their real estate assets. These people are going to get just brutalized at the most vulnerable phase of their life. Yeah, and the United States is going to have to do something about that. That's not even so in, in the midst of all this catastrophic inflation. You know what? You know what the U.S. is going to do. It's going to expand its welfare state more than it's ever expanded it before because people aren't gonna take it. This is the this They're is not the, gonna take it. This is the other thing. Social security, this is another big huge problem, right? When monetary policy gets tightened like this, it also affects social security because now remember that majority of the social security uh, money that the, the government earns is typically used for to fund government activity. And when interest rates go up, it, there is a there is a positive caveat of it, but then there is also largely more negative caveat. So when social when uh, sorry when interest rates are rise, governments are able to spend more because their fiscal taxes start to increase. Right? Mm. Think about it like if the prices of everything rise, then they can tax more, right? Because prices usually rise uh, higher uh, than um, you know usual, and in this cause and effect. If demand stays equal or even just goes down a little bit, the government will end up having a higher uh, budget surplus mm. than usual. But then there comes a very important component of this, which is Social Security, where you know the uh, current generation is paying for the future generation. And what you just brought up was a very important point, because all the boomers, which was the biggest generation of our time, they are all retiring at the same time. So there's going to be a large drawdown on these funds. Uh-huh. At this same time. And, you know, we're talking about the next, I want to say, five years, right? That's the expected uh, retirement range of majority of baby boomers. And um, this is going to pose a significant challenge to the government because how do you keep that fiscal spending up even if you increase taxes by a little bit, right? The taxes are higher. And then you had uh, Democrats come in and I I don't know if they they changed the tax policy, but, you know, once all this is done and over, social security system is going to be have to be revamped. That's oh yeah. Well, in in, in terms of earnings. okay. so let's let's take it from another angle. Right. Like the effect that consumer spending has on earnings reports. Right. And earnings reports have 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 been pretty robust, like through all of this, like earnings have still been like all right. But what happens? So my question is, what percentage of consumer spending comes from non-retired boomers? Oh yeah, who are That's about a- to get their pants pulled down? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we we are in such bad shape. We yeah. are in such bad shape. Yeah. That, so these things, what, what I'm saying is, these things are not. They've not even begun, right? We're looking into the future here, right? So uh, what you're saying is, learn how to make money on puts. 
Because <laughs> there's no social security for you at the end I, of the line. I think, I think that in this current climate, um, cash obviously is not something that you want to hoard. You want to invest it. Actually, in the current, like immediate times, like immediate, like one year to two years, you will be very surprised to learn that bonds are probably the best asset to buy right now because of yields being so high. You can lock in those coupons. Um, and I think it will get higher. It will get higher. So, you know, you can steadily increase your bond uh, uh, allocation. This is a time when you really want to start to take in short-term bonds, actually, uh, for your portfolio. And buying, you know, maybe an ETF, uh, short-term ETF would be a good idea. And then holding some of that for excess return. Uh, obviously, now the time for that is over. Like we're starting to see the bond market fall off a cliff at this point. Uh, but locking in those yields at this price is a really good idea because the coupon payments are going to be with you for the next one to two years. And so, you know, getting that uh, elevated coupon payments on those bonds are an interesting dynamic uh, of how you can generate um, some excess capital right now. Uh, apart from that, equities look like until unless you buy the cream of the crop, you're probably looking at a lot of pain for all your growth portfolios. Um, and emerging markets too, going through a lot of pain because monetary policy is tightening, not just in America. And as I like to always say, when America catches a flu, then the whole world catches a flu. So monetary policy is very interlinked. And uh, once one country starts to raise rates, because 60% of the world's reserve currency is the dollar, they all have to raise rates against the dollar so that they can battle off the reserves. Um, otherwise, you know, your currency is going to go to shit. So very, very interesting stuff that's going to happen in the next one to two years. Uh, but I think we are running out of time here now. So maybe we, we will keep that conversation for uh, another uh, session. Uh, Ivan, did you want to uh, say anything about your, your opinion for the one next two to 10 years? Oh, no, yeah, listen, I, I think we still have a lot more pain to go through. Um, it's going to take a while. It's not going to happen, you know, from one day to the other. Um, there's too many different problems that we're going through. Yeah. And to get all those problems uh, fixed at the same time, is it's not going to happen. That too, during so, your, when there's elections, that's a huge problem. Right. So, you know, the war, the, the, the you know, the dollar and going through what almost all time high. Yeah. We almost there. There's too many different things right now. Uh and, and it's gonna take a while. Like like you said before, I think another year and a half, two years where we, we could start seeing at least a, a, a relief on, on these whole issues that we're going through. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Or how do we know? Maybe well, there's one thing <laughs> There, there is one thing that I do have to say about this, you know, that a lot of people complain about the stock market, this and that, bear market. I see it the other way. And for us that we are day traders, if we can learn how to trade during a bear market in a bull market should be a park and, you know, a walk in the park. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 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 Yeah. Yeah, as a, the bear markets are the ones which are really tough because it's it's really mental warfare. That's the thing you're you're kind of fighting with yourself. Um, but who knows? Maybe because we all came to the same conclusion that this is going to take a longer time 
to recover. Maybe the market recovers next year. Who knows? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Maybe happens after. <laughs> but hey, it was great having you guys on uh, this podcast today, and I truly appreciate you taking your time out. Uh, we'll definitely hold another one soon. Uh, and uh, if you listeners, if you're listening in, um, you know, drop a comment below on what you think. What do you think is going to happen in the next two to ten years in this market? Uh, give us your opinions. We'd love to hear back. Drop them in the comments, um, and uh, we'll see you on the next one here. Uh, thanks for tuning in, and um, yeah, peace out. You guys want to say bye? See you guys. Bye, guys. Take care. Right.